Hello, and welcome back to another episode of Open Floor. I'm Andrew Sharp, and on the other line, Ben Golliver. What's up, man? Not too much, Andrew. You know, if you couldn't tell by the last two podcasts where I basically just giggled through the entire things, I love the playoffs. It's my favorite time of year. (laughs) And I want to do some trend spotting right off the top here because I have noticed something that's been developing across a lot of the different series here over the the first week of the playoffs. And I want to just kind of run it by you and tell me if you've noticed the same thing. Now, look. I don't know if swag, if that's like still a cool term or not. You know, it's been around it for is, a while. Roll with it. It's on brand okay. for us to be that's fi- five years late. Yeah, five or ten years late. That's <laughs> fine. You know, it's a post-swag reality, but just go with it. Whatever term is actually supposed to be the cool version of swag, I have noticed a lot of unsheathed swag from all sorts of unexpected people around the league. Now, look, you expect it from guys like KD, you know, superstar level players like LeBron. He's going to give you the flex. He's going to give you the pound and all that. But this is really the playoffs of the unsheathed swag, regardless of whether it's deserved or not. You know, Terry Rozier, deserved. Eric Bledsoe, a lot of swag, maybe not quite so deserved. (laughs) Ben Simmons, Joel Embiid, deserved. Justice Winslow, after getting himself uh, into a back and forth with Embiid and getting his shot stuffed and then dunked on, maybe not quite so no, deserved, Andrew. No, there will be no Justice Winslow slander tonight. He played great. He stomped on Joel Embiid's mask, which was awesome. Had we done this podcast at halftime of that game, I would have like come in with war paint on and really been ready to, to fly the Justice flag. It's, it's tempered now, but I'm not going to let you start hating on him. Okay, we've got Donovan Mitchell, I would say yes, deserved, absolutely. no question about it. Drew Holiday, I would say deserved, no question about it. And I guess my point here is, oh, Lance Stevenson, you know, that's questionable, deserved, undeserved. I could go either way on Old that Depot one. Depot too, don't forget him. Oh, a great a great contribution, Andrew, thank you. Uh, <laughs> it's just a lot of new faces this year, and these guys are really enjoying their moment. And I don't know if it's because the Warriors... They're not really at full speed, so not, people aren't quite scared of them. I don't know if LeBron's you know, reign in the Eastern Conference is maybe just slightly seeming like it could come to an end at some point. Maybe he's vulnerable, and that's what's allowing all these guys to flourish. I don't yep. know if they're just doing it for the gram. I think that's possible, too. Like If you get your moment in the sun, go with it. I think uh, that's becoming a new trend in, in culture as a whole. Whatever it is, I can't remember so much <laughs> unsheathed swag. <laughs> Uh, from the NBA playoffs in years. I mean, we have so many different guys contributing to it. Well, and let me add this. That's my favorite part about the first couple rounds of the playoffs. I mean, I think later on in the playoffs, it begins to become like a legacy conversation. Like, and that's where the drama comes from. And that's awesome. That's what makes it interesting is like LeBron in the finals, like that we're going to be talking about that for 30 years. Same with KD in the finals, same with Harden and, and whether he can come up big, like, but in these early rounds, what I like is is that like you have four or five months of regular season where trends emerge and you've got breakout stars and you've got various fan bases like demanding respect, whether it's for guys like Drew Holiday or Oladipo. And then in the playoffs, like everybody actually starts to pay attention to these guys and all that becomes real when they come up big. And uh, and it's been fun to watch with Holiday. It's been fun to watch with the Pelicans. Oladipo's a similar story. And uh, it's kind of like you don't really arrive until you do it in the playoffs. And there have been a bunch of different guys arriving. 
namely the entire 76ers team. I'm, I'm blown away. I can't believe they got that win in Miami. And uh, I mean, I, I hate to start the podcast with Sixers Heat uh, again, but that's just the way the schedule broke out and Andrew uh, I can hear it in your voice you don't really hate it and I think it's the right series <laughs> to start talk it about with this for hours absolutely because there's unsheathed swag on both sides I mean Dragic <laughs> flexing you've got Wade doing his thing in game two I like you mentioned all the Sixers guys and just to really wrap you know put a bow on my point here okay. there has been a lot of guys that I don't really w- wouldn't throw them in the conversation of deserving it like Jabari Parker Jabari Parker is talking about it like he's a hall of famer and how he needs mm-hmm. to play minutes and they need to re-scrap their whole gay play to like open things up for him I mean he's been one of the least effective people in the entire playoffs and he's blowing up his team when they're down 0-2 going home uh you know he's facing a contract decision that seems a little bit bold, uh, if I do say so myself. So I, I just think we have this whole spectrum of all these guys embracing this new opportunity, and it's coming out in all sorts of unexpected ways. I love it, and I think you know the epicenter of all this is Miami versus Philly. Yes, and uh, congrats to you. Unsheathed swag is a phenomenally awkward phrase, which is perfectly on brand with what you're about. Um but and Jabari, man, it's bumming me out. It's it's trending in like a Jaleel Okafor direction right now. He needs oh, a change of scenery. Oh, and oh. <laughs> I'm sorry, it just is. And I, hopefully, it won't stay that way. Hopefully, a new team will sort of help him rejuvenate things a little bit. But look, those words just jabbed my ribs when you said that. I know that it hurts me rough, too. It hurts me too. Rough comp. Philadelphia, Miami. We got a question from Greg in the middle of the third quarter. He says. This Philadelphia-Miami game is the best first-round game since that epic Clippers-Spurs series a few years ago. Perhaps this is an overreaction, but to my eyes, these are, if not the two best teams in the conference, at least the two most physically gifted and exciting. Would you agree with me that the eventual winner of this series should be considered the favorite in the East? Um, There's a lot there. I think... Before we hit the favorite question, we should just talk about this series. And to, for me, uh, to my eyes, I think that like this is the ultimate testament to that cliche, like uh, styles make fights, because Philly is great and is like clearly the better team, but this Heat team is so perfectly constituted to bother like guys like Simmons they they go 10 deep with with athletes they have an unlimited number of fouls to throw at these guys and it's just they're they're a great foil for a Sixers team that is like ascending and looks like a, a legitimately great team and we could not have asked for a better test in the first round and I have to give you credit here because on our playoff preview a week ago You said that this was the series you were most looking forward to. And I didn't object on the pod, but in my head, I was like, I don't know how much of the heat Ben has watched. Like, I just didn't think that they were ever going to be able to score with Philly. And they have for the most part. I think we saw in the fourth quarter, they they like couldn't keep pace with the Sixers when it really counted down the stretch. But uh, the like different guys on the heat are just stepping up over and over again. And it has been awesome. And you were right. 
Well, nothing new. I mean, I would say, uh, <laughs> no, I'm kidding. Look, I picked this series as the most interesting to watch because I thought Philly was like two or three times more interesting to watch than any other team. And I yes. felt like, hey, even if Miami was just a generic opponent, this series would be incredible. And they've played above that level. I was also worried about their ability to score, but I was not worried about their preparation. And to me, their preparation has been excellent. The adjustment after game one was strong. Their effort level in game three uh, I mean, you know, I was kind of making fun of Winslow earlier. I mean, that guy was playing very, very hard and making some unbelievable plays. Um, he was probably talking about three times too much for my liking <laughs> after those plays, but he was really balling out. And that's just kind of par for the course for all of them. I would push back here a little bit on what maybe the emailer was saying and maybe a little bit of what you're saying is, are we giving Miami just slightly too much credit here? I mean, it seems like they're good. I'm not sure I would consider them a top two team in the conference. Uh, they are making a young team that's sort of, you know, still getting its playoff legs work and, and pushing them and being a great foil. Uh, but I wouldn't say that, like, they're the, the favorites to come out of the conference if they somehow take the series in seven games. I think that's going way too far. Yeah, I think that's a, a fair way to look at it. Um, I loved Winslow tonight, man. <laughs> he was just like, he got my adrenaline going. It really felt like playoff basketball. In part because, like you said, he was talking trash between every possession. He was seeking out contact uh, on, like, five different Sixers. Um, And then, of course, the mask. (laughs) What did you think of the whole mask thing? Well, before we get to the mask, just real quick on Winslow, I want to ask you, did you ever have this sensation where, like, I was all in on MKG? Uh I loved him as a prospect, and, you know, I talked myself back into him after, like, three consecutive injuries. I never wanted to give up on him. And then I liked, I found myself liking Winslow for a lot of the same reasons I liked MKG. Yep. Uh, he had the slow acclimation in the pros and I bailed on Winslow. And so I will say that this game, while satisfying as someone who kind of always liked Winslow, I don't want to actually enjoy the satisfaction because I hold myself responsible for bailing <laughs> on him too early. Yeah, <laughs> Have you ever had that happen? Because you betrayed him early on. Yeah, um, I, don't de- I don't deserve it, you know? Right. And that's why I'm not betraying Markel Fultz right now, even though there have been a lot of red flags. Um, I, I feel similarly, though, about Winslow, where like I spent a long time with him um, before last season. We spent like 30 or 45 minutes talking, and, and I was very in on last year as like the year Justice Winslow turns the corner, and then totally. he, he had a number of injuries. He The shot was still like fully broken, um, and I, I, I kind of just quietly gave up, and part of it was the shot, but part of it was that he's smaller. That Like, I mean, he's... He, he's basically six four out there and um and i just didn't think that he was ever gonna be able to have the impact that he did have tonight and i thought one of the big things for miami was that he was hitting threes for the first three quarters and so was james johnson and when those guys are on miami becomes much tougher to beat because they've they've got guys like Dragic and and wade and and wayne ellington and Olenek who could score but add in james johnson and winslow and suddenly they are just really really tough to guard i want for the record the entire open floor globe to recognize that you pronounced Dragic right on the first try today <laughs> I know. very very proud of myself <laughs> first time in podcast history but in terms of uh you know Embiid in the mask I mean this is what I'm saying unsheathed swag I mean this guy's bringing his props to the game now Andrew not only is he calling out his organization on his Instagram story but he's got props that he's alternating and trying to you know ditch and his coach is saying you have to wear it or we're taking you out of the game he's putting on the replacements I mean what a debut. We've been saying 
you know, we waited since November, if not longer, to see, you know, the first, uh, you know, uh, vision or, or version of playoff Embiid. Yep. He did not disappoint. I mean, the big three to ice it down the stretch, very cool. Uh, the dominant, and, and we talked about this, the consistency that he'll bring to their offense in terms of like, look, if you need a bucket, if things are getting dicey, if both teams are getting double technicals left and right, uh, he gives you something that even Simmons doesn't give you right now. There's a steadiness, there's a consistency factor to it, a reliability and an ability to get to the free throw line. And I think all of those things were on display. And he is very high on the list of guys that you would just not want to have to play against. You know, if you're just oh, yeah. a random a random player in the league, like he will wear you down, he will beat you up, he is, you know, gonna make you work from uh, you know, tip to buzzer. I mean, all of it. Uh, and you could tell it was pent up too. I mean, that break, you know, really, you know, got him focused, rejuvenated, I think, in, in terms of what he was gonna be able to do on the game, and he let it all out. Well, it's funny though, because I really like Joel Embiid, was thrilled to have him back tonight, but I was also pretty worried about the way this was going to go for Philly because they've been playing so well. And like stylistically, it was going to be kind of an awkward transition to just slide him back in. And uh, and he hadn't played in a month. And it, like, it shouldn't be understated how hard it is to just not play basketball for a month. I mean, he was in like the concussion protocol and he was like in the hospital for a while and uh and just wasn't really able to do anything and to just come back in especially to that atmosphere which is like dog eat dog bodies flying all, all over the place uh it's a it's a big ask and he struggled for parts of that game and like it, when he sat down uh in that first quarter philly broke the game open with just simmons out there and um and that's kind of what i was worried about so it was really cool then to see him come back in the fourth quarter and it was like oh yeah this is why they are better with Joel Embiid and he is like unstoppable in the half court and uh I think like seeing him have that little stretch in the fourth made me a lot more confident in the Sixers over the next like six weeks yeah, I think uh, a couple of things. I mean, first of all, like you're saying, it wasn't the most natural offensive game for him, but 15 free throw attempts on the road. I mean, that is yeah. steadiness, you know, and, and I think he can get that against a lot of teams. I mean, it's really going to be a struggle for teams to keep him off the line during the playoffs because you don't want to give him anything easy. Um, that's going to be a very reliable source of, of points. The other thing, too, is we need to get a word for like uber versatility where a player is not just versatile in terms of his position uh, and not just his skills, but also sort of his mentality, because that's the the tag that we want to put on Ben Simmons here, because I thought him shifting his roles from where, you know, what he had done without Embiid to uh, what he's able to do within that game when he was playing alongside Embiid, but then also like you're mentioning, kind of stepping forward when Embiid was off the court yeah. was phenomenal. I mean, he sealed a really nice night with that, you know, thunderous dunk on, on the cut from the baseline. I mean, he's comfortable playing off the ball, giving it up and, and getting it back. And they passed the ball so well that uh, the stuff that I was really worried about was Embiid ball stopping and chucking and, and just launching ugly shots. And uh, I think he, you know, mostly resisted some of those tendencies. Yep. Uh, and I think some of that stuff was coming out right before the injury. Maybe it's the end of a long season and, you know, you start to wane a little well, bit. But like I said, anyway, yeah. Yeah, I think his decision making was was just a little bit better here. And then, you know, 
full credit to Simmons. Like I said, let's brainstorm and let's ask the open floor globe to do this. What's a better word for like three-dimensional versatility when you could basically, you know, shape shift or morph. Uh, That's what we (laughs) want to tag Ben Simmons with. I mean, Simmons is just mind boggling right now. And I was wrong on him through most of the year. And uh, the last two months or so in my defense, he has hit like another level he's gone up two or three levels from where he was in like january and uh it's just crazy how good he is and some of the passes he throws in tight spaces in the lane are incredible and then he'll also throw like 45 foot passes from from the backcourt to the opposing three-point line and like and they're dead on and uh He's just incredible, and we should probably talk more about him at a later date, but we have a lot yeah. of other stuff to get to. Yeah, two two real quick things on Simmons. First of all, I probably told this story. I saw him play his junior or senior year in high school. I can't remember, and he was just so ridiculously dominant compared to the competition. It was like almost sad, and I went away saying, like, okay, throw this guy in the NBA right now. He's ready, yeah. and we had to wait you know, two or three years for that to happen. But he's like 65 to 70% of that level of dominance right now as a rookie. I mean, that's how he's playing. It's kind of crazy. I mean, there, you know, it's just so hard to match up with his physical tools uh, already. It's remarkable. My second point, though, is I was so disappointed in him in game one. He spoiled an all-timer uh, Twitter stat that I wanted to tweet out. I was sure it was going for a 1,000 retweets, Andrew. I don't know if you know this, but the only two players in the modern NBA's history to register triple doubles in their uh, postseason debuts are LeBron James and Magic Johnson. And for some reason, Brett Brown took Ben Simmons <laughs> out one rebound shy of a triple double in his you know postseason debut. It would have been the ultra. You, know, you could have had the the three picture side by side. Magic, LeBron, Ben Simmons. You know, elite company, rare club. Whatever, however you want to pitch it, Andrew. I'm okay with. Yeah. Uh, he fell one rebound short. So, you know, as really, we know... Can I just say, I'm really, really sorry because I know that random stats after big playoff games are one of the things you enjoy most about this time of year. And I, I, have, I enjoy it too. The Golliver stat is a key part of the playoff experience for me. So I know how heartbreaking that must have been for you in the moment. I, I think we should either petition Brett Brown or the league office to kind of get this fixed. Can we go back and look at the tape like Westbrook does and see maybe he like poked a ball at, at some point in the second quarter and give him that 10th rebound? That's what we need because it would have been just too perfect and uh, you know it would have gotten the hype machine going even more than it already has. That's yeah. all I got on Simmons, so we can we can uh, jump on to whatever else you want to talk about. Well, I have two more things. I mean, we... D- we talk a lot about the game within a game with uh, the NBA playoffs. And the game within a game that I loved tonight was watching Joel Embiid try to take off that mask, pretend that it wasn't working, uh, pretend that it was like <laughs> fogged up. And then every time he would go over to Brett Brown and Brett Brown would be like, nope, put that mask back on. And it, was, it happened like five or six times. They were throwing the mask all over the court. It was a great little subplot to a game that was amazing for like 
85% of it. The fourth quarter got broken wide open a little bit. But um, hold, hold on one second. I want you to imagine you're the guy who's in charge of the mask. How much do you hate your life going into that game? Because you know, he, he was already thinking that was going to be the worst night of his life, right? I mean, the, the positive is you get a lot of NBA, you know, national TV screen time. The yeah. negative is you're having to force Joel Embiid into, you know, like a face wheelchair, which he obviously does not want to wear, you know? Honestly, I want like a long form interview with all the Sixers staffers who have been involved with this process because you know also they didn't want to play him tonight and Joel was definitely like lobbying hard behind the scenes I just want the full story so maybe like Derek Bodner or someone in Philly can make that happen um the he's last like, I'll thing wear, he's like I'll wear a helmet I don't care what it takes and then <laughs> exactly. they have to deal with it hey how many do you think they had there honestly like how many do you think they brought 15 20 I mean um, what's the what's the number because you knew he was gonna play a ton of minutes and you knew he was gonna you know get his face pummeled like he did and you know he was gonna try to like take it off and and screw with it I mean how many do you think they had as backups according to the TNT sideline reporter I forget her name but uh they only had two there so they which oh, honestly though oversight. for most players that would be safe i think they they underestimated how reckless joel is with his body um but i have one final question here we should answer the second half of greg's question would you agree that the eventual winner of this series should be considered the favorite in the east now if miami wins i i'm i'm not prepared to go that far at all um, although I would like to see the Sixers have to face off against the Heat again in the second round because I think a second Heat series would be a lot more fun than whoever Philly's going to end up playing. Um, but the Sixers, are how close are you to buying into them as a real finals? I mean, I guess they're already definitely a real finals threat. But I am, and it's not even about Cleveland's struggles. They just have looked so solid and they can hurt teams in so many different ways. I kind of like their chances to to get there. I'm pretty sure I picked them to make the Eastern Conference Finals. I mean, they've got a shot. You know, I think there's basically three teams that can do it. You know, Toronto, yeah. Cleveland, and Philly. And I guess I'd have to think harder about how I would divvy up that pie. Mm-hmm. Uh, but they're right there in the mix. I mean, I'll tell you this, though. If yeah. I'm Brad Brown and you get this fourth victory in this first-round series— the lobbying of the officials has to start immediately because what you can't have is that series against Cleveland where Embiid's just missing all this time because of foul trouble because LeBron's getting all these cheeky you know calls around the uh, the basket and LeBron has been doing an awful lot of call selling in the last week <laughs> I and mean, he's really ramped it up. I mean he goes down like you know it's the end of his life and he, he pops up once he gets the whistle. But like they need to start working these refs now, implanting the idea that you know Embiid's the next Shaq. You got to treat him you know fairly he's so big you know because I think that would be their big undoing in that kind of a matchup and I think you know one to nine or one to ten I think they match up very favorably with Cleveland and it it would assort it would kind of come down to can Embiid stay on the court long enough so that they can protect the basket uh, and limit LeBron's effectiveness offensively not eliminate it but just you know tamp it down slightly yeah Um, and then I think their offense is going to be able to score if not at will then you know very consistently against Cleveland so I mean, I have that matchup circled. I hate betting against LeBron. I hate changing my own opinions, but right. they're in the mix, man. There's no question. Yeah. The, the thing that I'm reluctant on is, uh, you know, Bellinelli, Ilyasova, Covington. I'm not sure if I, like, totally trust those guys for several playoff series, um, and uh, particularly with Bellinelli and Ilyasova. Like, I just... I've watched them for like 
10 years now. <laughs> they're not actually this good, <laughs> but I don't know. They're playing really well. Anyways. Well, that's what this goes back to the May flip question, though, which is who do you trust on Cleveland? And the last podcast, you, you, you took 10 seconds to say uh, Larry Nance Jr. <laughs> it was the only name that came out of your mouth. And I didn't blame you because there's not a lot of trustworthy guys on that roster either. So you know, that's why I'm saying, like, if you're Philadelphia and you can keep him beat on the court with Simmons, uh, you know, you get some good minutes out of Redick. I think he'd have a fine matchup in that series, too. Uh, you know, your talent is arguably better than Cleveland's top end talent, at least in terms of how they play together and, and uh, accentuate each other. Uh, you know, you can have that conversation. So, I mean, that that to me is the entire X factor. I think they'd have a real shot. Well, you know what, Ben? That was a really nice segue uh, because our next topic is the Cavs. Jake says, call me crazy, but I am not concerned about Cleveland anywhere near as much as what seems like the entire sports analyst and sports writer community seems to be. What do you guys think? Um, I'll start here. I am not as concerned about Cleveland as it seems like most of the basketball intelligentsia is. Uh, because, like, they... You, your point is well taken about, like, not really trusting most of the guys on their team. But to this point, no one in Cleveland has actually played well besides LeBron. And I think that's going to change. I think that like, it's a bad sign for the Pacers that they, they are tied one, one and there hasn't been one outlier Rodney hood game. There hasn't been like a big J.R. Smith game. There hasn't been a big Kevin love game. I I've, love's health is obviously like a, a big factor, but I think that he's going to start to get more help as we go here, and the Cavs are going to be more dangerous than they've looked through the first two games. Okay, so what's an outlier Rodney Hood game? Ten points? What are we saying? (laughs) (laughs) You know what, man? I'm still a Hood believer, so fuck off. All right, I think he's going to have at least one like 25-point game, but it's, it's fair to be skeptical. I'm just saying that I'm not. Okay, I'm just going to go the other way with this for the sake of the conversation. Okay. Um, so I spent a solid hour and a half looking up LeBron stats the other night because he played so well. He had 46 points, and you know he basically moved in second all-time um, among all NBA players in 45-point games in the postseason. The only one above him is Mike. Uh, you know, as a Mike stand, I will say it's a pretty comfortable margin. I don't think LeBron's going to get to to tie him, but uh, nevertheless, quite the accomplishment for LeBron. Sure. Uh, they only they only won by three points, and he scored almost half their points. Andrew, I mean, that's not a good sign. That's a really bad <laughs> sign because we know how good of a playmaker he is. We know how many people he spoons feeds on that team. And the other thing too is like Ty Lue, he's just flipping coins and rolling dice to make his lineups. I mean, he changed it up like pretty radically in Gabe too. I actually. He did what I expected him to do, which was basically go back to the people that he trusted from previous years, Corver, J.R. Smith. Uh, I thought that was smart. Um, but again, it, you're just kind of rearranging the deck chairs in terms of which of these guys do you trust. And so hopefully they will find something approaching kind of better cohesion and chemistry. Mm-hmm. Um, but those are super underrated variables in the postseason. And I say Cleveland's lagging there compared to, you know, a lot of these other, you know, top tier teams and they're lagging worse than I expected right out of the gate. 
The other thing I'd say too is, you know, you you mentioned, oh, well, Indiana probably should be up 2-0, you know, based on how bad Cleveland's supporting guys have played. Yeah. LeBron has never in his career gone down 0-2 at home, ever. Like, he always finds a way to respond, which go. is Perfect a pretty, stat. Great. pretty crazy stat. I think he's had 39 series where he's been opening at home. So he's 39 for 39, at least getting one of those victories. Uh, that's just another piece of, of trivia that speaks to his consistency and excellence. But um, I love it. You know, I, I think Indiana still has, I don't, I don't consider them out of this series. You know, I mean, their energy at home is going to be strong. Oladipo continues to be a problem. Uh, they have been very steady in the face of the LeBron uh, waves. You know, a lot of teams will just buckle and fold when LeBron mm-hmm. <laughs> scores 16 points in the first 16 minutes of a game. You know, I mean, that's a ridiculous uh, you know, shock and awe campaign, and they just hung with it. They were fine, and uh, you know, they're they've been more impressive than I expected. I think of all the teams that uh, you know kind of came into this playoffs, they probably had less hype than just about anybody, and they may have impressed me more than than just about any team out there. They have been really impressive, specifically Oladipo. You mentioned the the Cavs dysfunction. Another thing I liked from Game Two, and it dovetails with with your discussion of swag. The Cavs' defense on that final Pacers possession was so fucking terrible that it was almost like a swaggy move from them to just be like, no, nah, we're going to leave Oladipo wide open, whatever. <laughs> because like, and, if, and if that wasn't their thinking, then I have no idea how that happened. And it's really embarrassing, and everyone involved should be embarrassed. But... Um, it's I, like when people put their finger in a flame to show how cool they are, you know, and like totally. their fingers obviously burning and they're like trying not to cry because it hurts, but they're still trying to show how cool they are. Yeah. yeah, that was the Cavs taking a flaming shot at a party and, and thinking they were the shit. Um, but listen, I, the one thing that I seriously want to push back on a little bit is I think you're right that right now Ty Lue doesn't trust any of his guys and doesn't have like a coherent rotation I just think that that has been true of the Cavs in the past as well. And we've we've seen this come together as they start to win playoff series and as they start to to gather momentum. And, uh, and I think that is going to happen to some degree. Obviously, there's less weapons there than there have been in, in past years. But I think that they're going to be okay. It's and and if they lose to the Sixers, um, if that if that's the series we end up getting, or if they lose to the Raptors, it's going to be more about how much better their competition has gotten over the last year than um, than like to- total Cavs dysfunction. Um, I guess that's true if they lose to the Sixers. If they lose to the Raptors, we can pin it on Cavs dysfunction. But the Sixers are also just like better than any team they've had to deal with. Well, I think, you know, even with the Raptors, I mean, if the Raptors knocked him out and they just took care of home court and just beat him in a shootout, I would say that's not just Cavs dysfunction. It's Toronto being a better version of themselves, too. And so yeah. I think if you combine those two factors, you know, fewer weapons for LeBron, less continuity because of all the injuries. And he spoke about that after game one. And uh, I was glad he did, because that's what I saw when he was here in L.A. in March. You know, it was just like. He's out there with random guys, doesn't seem to have a lot of, uh, you know, mutual affection for or anyone on his roster besides J.R. Smith. And, uh, you know, some of that stuff has still been evident. And that's why he has to go into 46 point mode, because, uh, you know, he's looking around saying, you know, I don't really know who half my <laughs> roster is. And I definitely don't trust them to to win a playoff game for me. So 
you know, the power of LeBron uh, could easily carry him to the finals again. I'm not counting them out for sure. I just think this is the first real challenge he's had in years. And I would say both Philly and Toronto potentially have the the possibility of being tougher playoff opponents for LeBron than, you know, basically any team he's faced in the East since going back to Cleveland. I think that's valid. Um, All right, let's move on here. Uh, I've got in my notes, playoff P updates. <laughs> so yes. let's, have, let's have a quick playoff P discussion. Well, we have to give it up to the international reporter who asked Paul George if he felt extra stress in game two to live up to his playoff <laughs> P moniker. I mean, that is a really, really, Andrew, that's a gutsy question, wouldn't you say? Well, uh, and not only that, I think we have to give credit to Carmelo Anthony, who said, can't take it back now on the podium, which was amazing. <laughs> yeah, um, I mean, the fact that someone traveled, I believe it was from China to Oklahoma City to ask that question. That's my new favorite media member above all of them. Number one, Andrew, you're down to number two. Sorry. Um, playoff P, I was concerned after game one. Remember, I urged caution. I said, yep. look, like, they're awesome when he plays well, and they don't look nearly as good when he doesn't. And um, you know, we saw both of those things happen in games one and two. But, I mean, really, I think it's time for me to clear out. And you can just gush about Donovan Mitchell because – for everything that Paul George didn't do in the fourth quarter of game one, like, I mean, that was Donovan Mitchell's rookie of the year case, wasn't it? Yeah, man. How about playoff D? Playoff Donnie? Um, no, he, he was fantastic. Uh, and, you know, we don't, I'm not going to relitigate why he deserved to be a closer number two to Ben Simmons than the rest of the internet thought he did. But he's awesome. And he just has a knack for coming up big when Utah needs him and uh, I thought he did a really good job because he he his game wasn't really clicking early on and he made some adjustments and you know it's not easy to score against that Thunder team but the way he moves his body in the lane some of the floaters that he's hitting it's just it's so much fun to watch him now and I also think that like we should all prepare ourselves for him getting to like league average or or to like 38% from 3 and just becoming like a full-blown superstar because he's just that good at everything else and I like if I were a Jazz fan I would be a little puzzled by Rudy Gobert's sort of mitigated impact in some of these games um but I would be so pumped about everything that Donovan Mitchell has done. And I like, I still really think that Utah is going to win the series uh, because I don't know how much of this Donovan Mitchell is going to be able to s- sustain. Uh, but he's been, he's been great, man. I, I mean, even as someone who, who loved him all year, like this was, this is kind of above and beyond. Yeah, I would say just the Jazz might be the most underrated podium team, too. I mean, first of all, you've got Quinn Snyder blinking like a homicidal maniac i mean he gets up there on the podium and his eyes are just blink 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 blink. i mean he he always has that kind of crazy man look to him can i he also, really turns it on can i under the something? podium glare so quinn snyder is a very smart dude and uh i saw the jazz in dc in like early january they were still at the, like i think they might have been in 11th place or 12th place in the west at that point and uh, he talked for like 10 minutes before the game and was so eloquent. And uh, he's just like a really impressive dude. And it's kind of, it, it is at odds with his like crazy person 
persona and and his crazy eyes because he'll start talking you're like man this is just a really smart person um so i enjoy that aspect of it as well yeah he's like american psycho brad stevens but uh (laughs) totally that's a perfect way to put it thank you (laughs) the thing i'd say too though like their whole team going out there all four of them sitting at the podium together trying to like show the unity i thought was so forced and so hilarious and then all of them clowning Derek Favors off the stage because he was sweating. He got so embarrassed, he just like left the podium during the middle of a question to try to find a towel. It's a great. very underrated deep cut podium moment. But the reason why I wanted to bring up their podium stuff, Donovan Mitchell's persona has gotten a lot of discussion you know, uh, from people here over the last week because he's really doing it in the postseason. Mm-hmm. And I'm wondering who he reminds you of off the court because I almost wonder if the Wade comparisons off the court are better than they are on the court because he's got that polished, very media-friendly presentation, self-presentation. Yep. But there's like th- that that edge there that, that just delivers the requisite amount of authenticity and credibility and there's the ridiculous hunger uh, and competitive spirit that you know comes through in his game too. But you can kind of just get the, a sense from you know being around him that he's got that. I almost think he's like weighed off the court even more than he is weighed on the court, and he's very weighed like on the court. I think that's a good observation. I mean, and that's part of the reason. The I, I think earlier in the year on a, on a podcast I said that like the best comparison for his game is. Dion Waiters, but like actually good at all the things that Dion Waiters thinks he's good at. Uh, but it's beginning to look more like Wade, and I've beginning I've I've been throwing out Wade and Lillard more and more often, and I think a lot of it is is just off the court and the way he carries himself and the way he galvanizes that team. And there aren't many guys, especially that young, who are able to do that. And Wade and Lillard are two of the only guys in the last like twenty years who've been able to come into the league and command that type of respect. And uh, yeah, I mean, look, we could sit here and gush about Donovan Mitchell for like 20 minutes, but he's just, he's really impressive. And I'm curious to see where the series goes. The last great podium moment from the Jazz. I know I'm dwelling here, yes. but Ricky Rubio bringing up his nephew, not even his son, but his <laughs> his, his nephew, <laughs> his cute nephew. And they actually made him like introduce who the kid was because I think all the reporters were like, "Wait a minute, you Ricky! Like, kids. did you have a kid with, with somebody on a road trip in Oklahoma City? Like, who is this?" Uh, you know, next thing we know, they're just going to be bringing up fans or just you know random kids, uh, you know, from a charitable cause or something. But uh, wow. the Jazz were really feeling themselves after their win. Uh, and you know they have home court advantage. They have a great home court. Uh, that series is going to go deep, isn't it? I mean, don't we feel like that's going to be a, a six or seven game series, basically, no matter what? I do think that. I also would be pretty freaked out if I were a Thunder fan. I mean, they have to get one of these next two games, otherwise they're in trouble. Um, so we'll we'll see we'll see how it shakes out. Um, I just want to. Before we move on, I have to compliment you. And you're dwelling on this podium stuff because you're like in deep. And it's one of my favorite parts of the playoffs is like the playoffs begin and Golliver Studios re-engages and you provide nightly podium highlights on your Twitter account every night. And so anyone who doesn't follow Ben, go follow him because it's one of my favorite parts. I don't really like the, the, the stats you throw out, but I do truly enjoy the playoff podium highlights every single night it's it's awesome 
Look, it's the show within the show, okay? This is where legends are made on the podium, and uh, everyone's raising their game. I will say, of all the teams that bothered me on the podium right now, it's the Raptors, because Kyle Lowry's just forcing it. He's trying so hard to be a goofball. He's <laughs> hiding on, his man. face I behind. Like he, he's hiding his face behind the box score. He's rolling his eyes. You know, just let Demar speak. I mean, the man had almost forty points. You can give him his moment in the sun. You don't have to be this goofball in the background. But I know everybody loves it because their friendship is so great. I'm. I'm the hater but <laughs> you really I just think are he needs to, it's very he needs he to tone it down only person in the basketball world who is like no i'm sick of that i'm sick of that well shtick. <laughs> andrew if you had to ask everyone who's the podium connoisseur am i not number one That's I mean, true. who cares more you definitely okay, spend so I, more time with this than anyone i know so he's he's gonna be definitely underrated on the podium 100 when i release that this year yeah okay good um <laughs> moving on here uh andrew says love the pod guys besides the celtics coverage you guys managed to talk about the celts bucks game one for a solid 10 minutes while mentioning the celtics twice goliver saying they are fine not great (laughs) and sharp saying they don't have any firepower tatum's first playoff game and and brown turning into a formidable force apparently didn't spark any interest and i just want to say this is a perfectly fair criticism because I fin- when we finished talking about no, that it's Bucks, not. no, it is, it is, because <laughs> in my head I was like, man, I don't think we mentioned the Celtics once in that like Celtics Bucks segment, uh, and I felt bad, but I also don't really give a shit about this version of the Celtics. Um, but let's talk about them for a minute. Pavel Ugh. says, in light of Jalen Brown's. 30-point performance in Game 2. How do you think the trajectories of Brandon Ingram and Jalen Brown will go over the course of their careers? So this is a classic case of like people kind of overreacting a little bit. I think Jalen Brown has been awesome, but we don't have to suddenly start talking about him like he's better than Brandon Ingram. Like he, I don't think he's going to be in the same category as Ingram, just the way Ingram isn't going to be in the same category as Ben Simmons. However... I do watch these Celtics games and get even more envious of them than I have been over the last couple years because Jalen Brown is really good and you can tell, I think both of us know his trainer and you can tell that he's worked on his game and gotten much better since he entered the league. And then like Jason Tatum didn't have a great game too, but like is clearly going to be a factor for the next five years. And, uh, it's just kind of an embarrassment of riches for them because, you know, adding Hayward and not having to count on these guys every night only makes them more valuable. And I think the most interesting question is, like, at some point they're probably going to have to consolidate and, and choose between Jalen Brown and Jason Tatum. And uh, that'll be kind of its own pickle, but... It, my only Celtics take is that I watch these guys and all the and like once you slide in a couple stars at the top of the roster, the whole group is going to get so much scarier. Well, where do I begin? Okay, so first of all, didn't we start the whole generic praise rant a few months ago? That's because not someone... generic praise. I'm legitimate. I'm legitimately surprised by how good Jalen Brown has been. That's fine. You gave him you gave him fine compliments. I'm just saying, isn't this emailer asking us for generic praise of the Celtics, which is exactly what we said we didn't want a month ago? <laughs> That's fair. Yeah. What have your, I changed what your my opinion about dishing season? out generic praise? No, I haven't. Look, this is a team that doesn't have a ceiling, and the team they're playing completely melted down to the point that the best player 
uh, is now going to be in free agency rumors probably or trade, you know, future trade scenarios all summer long. Mm-hmm. Uh, you know, their second best player is playing phenomenally and Chris Middleton, and it's not going to matter. Everything else is falling apart at the seams. Joe Prunty won't take a fine for a star. Uh, Jabari Parker might just walk off the job during game three or four. We haven't figured that out. And the front office is nowhere to be found, you know, tamping down any of this. So, yeah, we might focus a little more attention on Milwaukee, given that it's a, you know, burning trash heap as we speak. Now, in terms of Boston, I started off today's podcast by saying, you know, Terry Rozier, you know, unsheathed swag. I thought he's been, you know, probably their most impressive player relative to expectations. And, you know, he's right up there with holiday to me in terms of like the guys who are kind of stealing the show a little bit in in the playoffs. I think, I mean, Eric Bledsoe, he's so far inside Eric Bledsoe's head. It's hilarious. (laughs) Which shouldn't be possible. Eric Bledsoe has been in the league for almost 10 years and Terry Rozier is legitimately winning like the psychological battle. Yeah, I mean, Milwaukee might have to trade him to China because this is getting <laughs> ugly. <laughs> I mean, he's a, you know, he's just uh, disintegrating before our eyes, thanks to Terry Rozier. So, I mean, that's been funny to watch. Uh, you know, in terms of Boston, though, have you seen anything, just yes or no, have you seen anything in the first two games that makes you think that they're going to come out of the East? Yes or no? What, this year? Yeah. <laughs> of course not. That's not the question. Oh, so I then... Think- so then why do we have to talk about them? Why is it such a big deal? Why are these guys begging for attention? Yeah, you're a cute story. You've been a cute story for six months. Nothing's changed. <laughs> no, look, the reason to talk about them is because if we're if we're projecting forward, I, I think we are seeing some things that are going to be relevant to the future of the East. Because right now, when you look at the next five years of the East, it's like Sixers, Sixers, Sixers. But watch a Celtics game and you're reminded like, holy shit, this team is going to have three like really good wings in the next couple years and they're going to be a handful to deal with and that is that's relevant and also Rozier is really good and imagine him playing 20 minutes because I don't think he's good enough to really like help them at this 35 minute a game pace but Rozier for 20 minutes and Kyrie for 35 minutes begins to get pretty dangerous and that's that's a lot to deal with. Yeah, I mean, you said earlier, if you add two stars to their team, they're really going to be something special. Well, if you give me Brad Pitt's face and Morgan Freeman's voice, I'd be a millionaire they, too. I mean, But they on. have two stars. Look, you're becoming such a Celtics hater that you're forcing me to start defending the Celtics, and I feel disgusting about it. So let's just move on. But Well, I'm glad, I'm glad you figured that out after five minutes. That was a pretty good bit. <laughs> it's awful. Uh, <laughs> No, look, I think the thing about Jalen Brown and Brandon Ingram is that one of those guys is a dog and one of them isn't. You know, Jalen Brown goes hard. Yeah, I mean, that's There's a great no point. question. I mean, his his competitiveness, you love to see it. And, you know, at the end of the regular season, he was piping up and saying, look, Brad's getting a little too much credit. We're out here playing. <laughs> Truer words haven't been spoken. Good job, Jalen Brown. You've been playing hard all season despite all sorts of stuff around you. If you transplant, you know, the spirit of his game into Brandon Ingram's body, you'd have a really, really special player. And I think... That's a huge question with Ingram. I mean, does he start drifting into that sort of Wiggins category? We're all just kind of waiting and hoping that it finally comes along. And, mm-hmm. uh, you know, is he always going to be this perennial disappointment or is he really going to figure out how to play? Uh, you know, we've seen some flashes from Ingram, but we've, we saw flashes from Wiggins too. You know, we need to see it more consistently. Uh, in terms of who I'd have right now, I'd rather have right now, it's no, it's no question, is it? I mean, it's, it's pretty obviously Jalen Brown. Oh, really? 
I, right now? I me, mean, in terms of who, of who they are? I mean, no doubt. if you have to go win a game today, it's maybe Jalen Brown. I don't think it's it's no. clear-cut now. And if you're oh, projecting forward three or four years, I think I would take it. Now you're Look, the Celtics hater. No, no, no. You're the Celtics I'm hater. Not, I'm not a Celtics hater. I'm just not going to be a prisoner of the moment. I mean, Jalen has been up and down throughout the year. He's been great through two playoff games, yeah. but he, the Brandon well, look, Ingram you, was better than you're giving him credit for for most of this season. You're, you're not going to lecture me about overreacting to a player's best game, okay? <laughs> Sorry, man. I, in, I invented that, okay? But he has not been that inconsistent. To me, Jalen Brown was one of the most improved players of the season. Mm-hmm. Very, you know, in terms of his effort on the defensive end, consistent. Uh, his awareness occasionally it's spotty, but he's very, very young. He's a much better defensive player than Brandon Ingram is right now. And Ingram's had a lot of health issue, issues, and he doesn't have that knockdown three point shot. I trust Brown's shot more than I trust Ingram's right now. And uh, okay. I, I trust, like I said, competitiveness and, and will. I mean, to me, that's uh, you know, that's a, a knockout. You know, I think I mean, that is for- a that's a great point. I also would say that like Jalen Brown didn't average twenty five a game this year, which he is through the first couple of games. And uh, but you're right, it, it the the unknowable part of this is definitely like whether Brandon Ingram gets that killer instinct. Um, and you know, I'm a believer. Uh, but let's move on because we've got. Two more questions, and then we have a, a group of angry emails, which I like. Um, first, from Darren. He says, I don't follow college basketball, but I know he dropped in last year's draft due to injury. How highly regarded was OG Anunoby, and what do you think his potential is? Um, I will answer this since I spent a lot of time on the draft last year. Uh, I think that he was really highly regarded by a lot of people, a lot of us draft nerds, um, but nobody had any idea what the timetable was on that injury. And it's kind of remarkable that like that can still happen. But like going into that draft, there was a lot of uncertainty about like what the injury really was or, or, or what the extent of the recovery would be. And I don't think anyone in the league, um, even the Raptors, probably didn't expect him to recover as quickly as he did. And he's been really good. And he's been pretty good through these first two games. He sort of tailed off through the second half of the season. But I think potential-wise, like, he, it's it's up there, man. I, th- I think that's a big factor, like kind of an X factor for the next couple of years of the Raptors. Because if he starts to develop on the perimeter, he becomes really, really valuable. I just need to interrupt this podcast because we have breaking news. Okay. Uh, Anthony Davis has done a left-handed dunk onto Yusuf Nurkic, and he's punctuated it with an incredibly profane swear word, which they just aired in slow motion. <laughs> Demarcus Cousins, who's wearing a short-sleeved, uh, what looks to be you know like a Hawaiian shirt, uh, was waving towards the Portland bench, yelling out, "Get him out of the game!" As Nurkic was. <laughs> taken to the bench i love um, the playoffs i love it and uh as we're speaking new orleans is up by 20 so okay now back to uh you know a really well, careful pre-draft breakdown <laughs> yeah. of og and Inobi. no no no, uh, no Andrew, okay. can i ask you one question uh, real quick do you think because uh, you mentioned okay sometimes people didn't really know how long the recovery is going to take 
do you think that's something, you know, a byproduct of GMs who are drafting for their jobs, who don't have the patience to wait, and and they're just maybe afraid? And you're a team like Toronto, you can wait for him, right? Like, theoretically. Yes. Like, if he he hadn't been anything this season, they would have been okay. They're very, very deep. I mean, they would have been uh, just fine without him. Uh, obviously they're better with him, but do you think that was a, a case of that? I think that's part of it. And I should clarify when I say that it like draft writers didn't know exactly what the injury was and what the timetable was looking like, but I'm sure NBA teams knew a lot more than we did and, uh, and had a better idea. I, but I also, I think, and, and also if I were a GM, <laughs> who didn't yeah, draft exactly. OG Anunobi, I would definitely be leaking like, yeah, nobody had any idea that he was going to come back this quickly. But I think that... Yeah, our doctors didn't clear him, you know? And that's <laughs> yeah, what I'd be saying. Totally. And like, look, let's let's be honest. If you're drafting for your job, like that's your mentality too. Is like, that guy's damaged goods. I can't take him. I need a guy to sell right. to my owner in, in November, not November 2019. And that's a tough spot. But look, it worked out great for him. And we've seen that happen before too. I think Jordan Bell is another example for Golden State. You know, he probably falls a little bit. I mean, uh, that can happen. And that can work out really well for both teams and players too. Yeah. Yeah. Um, well, the reason I asked that is because I have another NBA draft question for you. I was waiting for an emailer to send it in, but we could just discuss it because it's something that I think about watching guys like Nurkic and guys like Hassan Whiteside basically get played off the court instantly in these playoffs. I know you're not really a draft guy, but like, how would you feel about drafting big men in the top 10 at this point? Because there's like Mo Bamba, DeAndre Ayton. I'm not a huge Ayton fan, and I have paid less attention to the draft class this year because I'm not, um, I'm not doing that for Sports Illustrated anymore. But like, I don't really get the appeal. And just looking at where the league is going, like you kind of have to be amazing to be able to be on the court in these moments. And like if if I was looking at a big man who doesn't project to be like one of the seven best players in the league, I just wouldn't really want that dude. Yeah, I mean, I think I would look for, you know, basically three skills. I mean, can the guy finish efficiently around the basket, yeah. uh, you know, on lobs, you know, above the rim uh, stuff. And then also in conjunction with that, can he hit free throws? That'd be number one. Number two, I would want to know, can he shoot the three-pointer comfortably? Can he play face up and play on the perimeter? In other words, can he set screens and and pop and Mm -hmm. shoot a three-pointer? And then the third thing, and arguably the most important thing I'd be looking at is, you know, can he play defense in space? Can he switch? How comfortable is he, you know, straying from the basket and recovering? And if a big man can do all three of those things, then I'm definitely drafting him because, you know, that guy, call him a unicorn or call him whatever you want to call him. But, you know, that's sort of Embiid, right? And that's, you definitely want that guy. I also think that we're like, you know, maybe two or three years into this already. You know, we've already been aware of like the fear of drafting big guys for, you know, most of the Warriors era. And, you know, everyone keeps saying, oh, it goes in cycles, it goes in cycles. I don't know if I totally believe that, but... Uh, you know, I do think if everybody goes small and you have a big man who can stay on the court, that can be a huge advantage for you, whether you're, uh, you know, go bear. And he got into some foul trouble. I think, you know, you mentioned that earlier, but I, I think that limited his effectiveness, especially in game two. Uh, but Embiid, I mean, there's going to be big guys who, who do have a role. Yeah. So I wouldn't be like, it wouldn't be like a no draft whatsoever. Uh, I think I would be angling more for lead playmakers 
uh, and guys who can be, you know, dynamic, you know, scoring threats with the ball in their hands and, and play multiple positions and, and two-way guys, just like I do in sort of any scenario. Um, but if well, a big guy can't do those things that I mentioned, like if he's one for three or if he's zero for three, I would not draft him. Yeah, it, it's that's really good analysis. That's that's why the people download because I think you're right. I think the ability to defend in space is what separates someone like Gobert from Hassan Whiteside, and that's that's dead on. And it's by the way something that DeAndre Ayton does not really do and doesn't protect the rim. And I'm just I'm not I don't get it with him, but. Um, it's uh it it's just something that comes up because you and I will be watching playoff games and it's kind of mean like I'm kind of entertained by watching how quickly some of these guys are played off the floor and uh and for some reason you still every year year after year you see mock drafts full of big guys who like don't really fit the bill and even to some degree it's it's starting to happen with Carl Towns where like against the wrong team he's just gonna get abused in the pick and roll and Jokic too and so I don't know um yeah those are great names to mention let's let's drill down on this Nurkic example for a second right because coming into the series I kind of thought Portland was going to win in seven um I thought he was going to struggle if you remember I put him onto my all bullseye team and he was one of those star players and most of that team was stars like John Wall and you know Paul you know Paul George big name players right? right but I put Nurkic on that team because they needed him. Like he's their third best player. He has to play like it. But when you're going up against Anthony Davis and you can't guard Anthony Davis because you're not quick enough and you're not athletic enough and you get into foul trouble. And then you also can't guard Miritich because Miritich will stretch you all the way out to the three point line. Uh, then you just can't play, you know, and then your team starts to decide, well, look, we have to try to play small and just get into a shootout. We have to take you off the court. Your value plummets. And so I think in terms of him being on that bullseye team, well, that really did not work out well for him. And, uh, you know, I think as we're talking, you know, Portland could potentially get swept in this series. And, you know, that was way more drastic than I even anticipated, but it happens every year to somebody. And uh, I think that is proof positive what we're just discussing because Nurkic defending in space is not really his strength yeah uh you know the three-point shot he doesn't have it and then finishing efficiently around the basket's been a, a bugaboo for him uh for a couple of years now I mean sometimes he'll power through and dunk and then sometimes he puts up those soft flip shots that kind of make blazer maniacs pull their hair out right and so <laughs> on that on that rubric <laughs> you know he's like one for three or zero for three right yeah and so um blazer maniacs why... have lost a lot of hair over the last seven days and i really feel for them because their team was awesome and didn't deserve to have things end this way and and let me use another counter example just very quickly clint capella he can definitely defend in space he can switch he can step out he's he's very you know he's not like fleet of foot but Mm -hmm. he can cover ground and he's pretty long and then he's a great finisher around the basket so i would consider him even though maybe the free throws aren't quite there i would kind of consider him checking two of those three boxes and capella's not being played off the court if anything he's causing matchup issues for minnesota right because of his vertical threat uh because of his screen setting ability and, and everything else so that's the rubric that i would use yeah um good takes all right let's move through these angry playoff emails the first is Sean, I guess this is in it. Well, hold on, Andrew. What? Let's let's sell this segment, right? Because Go let's really it. do this up. Because the playoffs started last week, and <laughs> within about five minutes of the first game tipping off, we started getting panicky emails on Saturday, and they just kept coming and coming. Everyone, you can go ahead and email to openfloormail at gmail.com, openfloormail at gmail.com. But 
I mean, people just lost their minds. I mean, they were so worried about their team's future. They were ready to extrapolate. They just, it was meltdown city in our emails for a solid four or five days straight. So I think you went through and picked the best ones, right? Yeah, we have a handful here. Um, First is from Sean, who says, I am so deeply saddened by the state of Giannis Inc. right now. The Bucks don't move in their offensive sets. They can't defend as a team. And when they do defend, they don't rebound. No game plan, no offensive chemistry, no defensive discipline. Sometimes I wish that Brad Stevens would just wander into their huddle and accidentally start coaching Giannis instead. Uh, which that one was more sad than mad. Uh, but uh, we'll get to the Bucks. We have another Bucks discussion. Um, but this is from Art in East London, who says, I am 18 years old and from one of the poorest and most deprived areas in the UK. The youth here can't get a job. So I gamble on soccer and basketball, and I'm pretty good at it, but not great. Anyways, I I recently placed a wager on a number of things to happen in the NBA. For example, Giannis to score 30, Wall and Lowry to have at least 8 assists, and so on. One of the outcomes I needed was Bradley Beal to score 12 points. Not 40, just 12. (laughs) Rodney Hood numbers. (laughs) Every single thing happened that I needed except for Beal. I would have won 2,000 pounds. I honestly can say there is not a single player I hate more than Bradley Beal right now. And that is just a wonderful tale. I I identify with a lot of your feelings. There's no hate toward Beal, but I I certainly understand where art is coming from. I mean, Art, that was a tear-jerking email, man. I'm really sorry for you. Uh, I mean, you had me. I was worried that you were going to hit us up for, like, you know, monetary donations. (laughs) (laughs) And I wasn't prepared to pay you for Bradley Beal being terrible, uh, you know, out of sympathy. But, uh, you know, my condolences. I mean, what happened to Beal in Game 2, Andrew? And by the way, can I take credit? You know, my greatest hits album is not going to be two discs like Tupac. But I think that wizards photo that i put on twitter and if anyone didn't see it go check it out i think that wizards team photo that i put up with wall and gortat deep in argument and then beal sitting about five feet away with his head in a towel yes uh, looking completely distraught i think that was one of the greatest tweets of all time it, it really was it captured the entire season i went on nba desktop and i guess it will air tomorrow and i started my segment with my head in a towel which is really where I've been. I don't know if they'll keep it in, but I've been in that pose for like four months with this team. And uh, Bradley Beal, it's, there's now like an ongoing conversation within wizard circles about whether he's just like out of gas at this point. I didn't realize he played the third most minutes of anyone in the NBA this year, either third or second, uh, more than someone like Giannis or more than Russ which is probably not great for a player who's never done anything close to that in his career. Um, But I also am just sick of the like excuses with some of this, some of this stuff. Yeah. um, I have a question for you. Have you ever heard that theory that if your significant other or someone in your life like drastically changes their hairstyle, it's, it's a bad sign. Like it's a red flag. (laughs) Like there's something deeper going on. Have you heard about that? Do you, do you, do you subscribe to that or no? Um, I I guess I, I work on a case by case basis. Okay. Because, well, here's a case for you, Andrew. Uh, Gortat shaved his mohawk off (laughs) after game two. Cause I don't even know if he like registered any stats uh, when he was on the court. I mean, very limited statistical contribution. Yep. 
He's a, that's a crisis, yes. right? I mean, yeah. Okay, it's it's not great. But look, we we have another Wizards question here. Uh, Joseph says, Andrew, we have John Wall for life. So if you don't like Wall, then give away the rest of your Wiz gear along with your Ubre bobblehead and put on Raptors purple or, or Celtics green. If you want to stay a fan, then stay a fan. You think Ben runs for Michigan football? They're constantly <laughs> overhyped losers that collapse hey. when it matters. They have an overrated coach who's a caricature of himself. They've gone 1-13 against Ohio State since 2004 and still yeah, cling to necessary. their 1904 championship run. But, but Ben doesn't abandon them. Ben is a fan for life, and I respect that. So what do I see for the Wiz? I see us building around Wall in the, in the future. I see us trading Beal for Boogie. I see great things. So come back, Andrew. We need you. You've been a soldier for life. You've lived through Kwame, Blatch, Stevenson, Jan Vesley. Don't abandon us now. And Ben, I want to say something. I okay. need I needed this pep talk, okay? <laughs> because <laughs> Yeah, you did. <laughs> I have been very, very down on the Wizards. And I, the Wizards have a game three at home in DC on Friday night. I'm psyched to go. I, they have a game four on, on Sunday. I'm going to that as well. It's going to be a lot of fun. And I'm I'm ready, okay? They, this series is still winnable, and I, I'm not quitting on anyone. I will, I will add, though, that I have several times this year tried to talk myself back into the Wizards, and then what happens is I actually watch them play, and just, like, my eyes glaze over. I watch Wall take... The, fucking 15 mid-range shots a game and miss layups and then then it's like the next five years of my life flash before my eyes and i'm just like i can't do this i can't keep doing this they, they're they're trending in the like detroit pistons direction and if i knew a pistons fan i would like hug them and be like you don't deserve this just be a regular nba fan and so sometimes in the middle of wizards games i start to think about that for myself but that's not happening now. I'm back in. Thank you for the email, Joseph. I appreciate it. That was a phenomenal email, Joseph. That was a nice self-pep <laughs> talk you just gave yourself, Andrew. I'm going to give you credit for that. The one thing I would want to dispute what you said, though, I believe you said, you know, game three and game four are going to be fun. Let's not get ahead of ourselves, okay? If Washington drops game three, game four is not going to be fun, Andrew. That is going to be, be a seminar in, kind of in like quitting. A, a sick kind of way, like to see how loud the boos get. I'll be interested. I mean, I'll be watching to see if anyone punts a basketball into the 300 level. We we, we could easily see an Andrew Bynum like just spearing somebody out from midair, you know, getting like a 10-game suspension like he did that one time. Uh, Dwight Howard, the famous ejection, and when they got swept, uh, when he was a Laker, all of those things are in play for Washington if they lose game three. I mean, so I guess it would be must-see TV. Yeah, and if I were you, don't sell your tickets to game four because that's going to be worth <laughs> Pennies on the dollar, if you can even sell them for pennies. <laughs> but uh, I would not be going there expecting a good time in Game well, 4 if they lose. Well, we will just have to wait and see, okay? I believe, at least for the next 24 hours. Um, next question is from Dan. Hey, hey, hold on, though. Michigan, by the way, it's still the winningest fo- uh, program in college football history. We've got the best helmet, the best fight song, the biggest stadium. Uh, I would say the best color scheme, the best Jordan brand uniforms. 
Um, so I don't agree with that. Yeah, got more. (laughs) We've got more than just the 1904 national title or whatever he was saying. Okay, and yes, we might have padded our stats by being such an innovator and bringing the sport to a such a high level in its early glory days. But look, if you weren't down with sort of black and white college football before television existed, then you know (laughs) that's a you problem, not a Michigan problem. No, bingo. (laughs) I need to I need to add something there. You can hang your head or hold on. You can hang your hat (laughs) on a lot of things. You cannot, don't tell me the Michigan uniforms are cooler than like half of college football. They wear blue and yellow. They're the plainest uniforms this side of Penn State. I No offense. The, the helmets are kind of cool, but the, the Jordan affiliation does not put them on like Clemson's level or anything. And also. Look, maize and blue, classic sure, color scheme. Classic. And the Jumpman logo. Come on, let's go. That's beautiful. I, you know? I should also but, add though. That every year I root for Michigan in the Michigan Ohio State game and watch them lose and come away thinking like, man, it's been a little while since Michigan actually won one of these games. I did not realize that the knife. they were one in thirteen <laughs> since two thousand four. That is rough. They should add that to the to the. Uh, well, actually, don't talk about that before the rivalry game. But man, I don't know how I'd miss I that. Was- I'm pretty sure the one was an asterisk during one of like Ohio State's like scandals like the year after. Yeah, (laughs) perfect. That really doesn't even necessarily count. But look, wouldn't you also say blue is the best color? Blue is my favorite color. And the fact that we can just be go blue and everyone else has to get in around us. I think that's pretty special, too. Uh, You know, the other colors, second rate. Um, So I don't know. Okay, I, I think Michigan football can still pretend or at least aspire to a certain level of elitism that Washington Wizards basketball. I mean, the Wizards, they're just never going to uh, be on that level. Let me tell you something. You just now sounded every bit as sad as I sounded when I was talking about the Wizards. So I now feel better. So thank you. We all suffer together uh, in this world of ours. We really owe it to Joseph here, (laughs) bringing everyone together, bringing the worst out of both of us. Yeah. All right. Moving on. Dan says, as I watch Giannis against the Celtics, it dawned on me that he's currently in the honeymoon phase with the NBA world. He receives no blame and you hardly hear criticism of his game besides needing to work on his jump shot. Let's say Giannis leads the Bucks to another elimination this year to the Celtics, and then next year the Giannis-led Bucks lose another first-round series. What do you predict will be the critique on Giannis's game? Does like does he engage teammates? Does he make them better? Does he have too much Westbrook in him when he needs more LeBron? Um, this is a good observation. And I think this is the best argument possible for him needing a real coach and or a new team if Milwaukee can't figure it out because this stuff will start. And Giannis is amazing. Like you heard Brad Stevens after game two. I think you said he sounded almost disgusted that he does that <laughs> with how good Giannis has become. He really did. And uh, I like Giannis is great. The problem is not him. Uh, but... Dan is right that this shit is going to start if if they can't figure it out in Milwaukee. Yeah, it's going to start in one year, not two years. Um, I think it's going to be very similar to the Anthony Davis and Carl Anthony Towns thing where you know people wanted to abandon ship and go for Towns instead of Davis, mm-hmm. and they're going to go for Simmons instead of Giannis. And what they're going to say is, look, Giannis is just a dunker, quote-unquote. He's not an elite passer. Uh, he's not an elite shooter. And if you want to be one of the top five players in the league, you know, 
excellent defense and dunking uh, if you're a ball handler isn't enough. Um, they're going to say, you know, like Kawhi Leonard, like he can shoot, he could be a scorer in isolation. Like he's just as good as Giannis on defense. So um, those holes, uh, you know, he just doesn't have the vision to be on that level. And I mean, dwelling on Giannis's limitations is really an exercise in uh, self, you know, self-immolation. I mean, just <laughs> do anything else with your life. But I mean, those are kind of fair knocks. Like he doesn't do those things on an elite level and it does hold him back yeah. and it does hold his teammate back. I mean, if you give Giannis Ben Simmons's vision, uh, you know, they're not down 0-2 to Boston. I'll tell you that much. And uh, sometimes that feel stuff develops mm-hmm. over the course of a career. And I'm not sure that it's ever going to get to that level for Giannis. Yeah. And I think, but that doesn't mean he, he can't be a top five player. And that doesn't mean he can't be a winner in the NBA. But I think that's really where the, the criticism is going to, to center around. Well, because there's such an obvious comp with Simmons, you know, it's like do everything point forwards, but one of them can really, really pass and the other can't. Yeah. One day over the summer, we should have like a 30 minute discussion over which one of those guys has a brighter future because it really might be Simmons and it might be for like totally intangible reasons that they come down to like feel and everything. And uh, I don't know. It's, it's kind of fascinating um, and totally unknowable. So that'll be like a useless 30 minute conversation, but we'll do it. Um, I I just want to add that my preference for Bucks coach next year is Chris Finch from the Pelicans uh, because he was an assistant in Denver last year and i know nothing about chris finch beyond these facts but he was assistant in denver with that amazing nuggets offense and he's now working with the pelicans who are currently blowing my mind and based solely on the strength of those two teams and what they did on offense i think chris finch is the guy that the milwaukee should think really hard about um and I don't have a lot of confidence that they'll actually go that direction because it is a big risk but uh that's I don't know I don't really see the fit with with someone like Coach Bud or someone like Steve Clifford or or Fizdale. Um, I think f- it's gonna take like a home run hire and Chris Finch would be my bet. Very interesting. Did you pick him because he has uh, a, a last name that's a bird just to kind of get me excited? Or? <laughs> sure. <laughs> I didn't think about that, but yeah, that's perfect. I'm in. Let's do it. Uh, okay. Well, what else we got? All right. Um, some angry wolves emails which are par for the course luke says please discuss why carl anthony towns plays offense like pj tucker or bruce bowen (laughs) um and then he went on to explain but i'll I'll just leave it there um and then waz says tibbs is awful (laughs) he's managed to have hardcore wolves fans hate him and alienate the casual minnesota sports fan because of his demeanor the Wolves and Cat and Wiggins will always underperform with this guy coaching. Barkley is right. Stupid team being led by a coach who should be a, who should be an assistant. Talk about players and the team, but your all your analysis is bullshit if Thibs isn't crushed. So there you go. Haven't we been crushing Tibbs for about three months now? I mean, I feel like that's been a pretty regular occurrence on this segment. Um, yeah, no, we're, no, we're good. I think... Anytime a fan base agrees with Barkley when he's talking bad about their own team, that's a red flag so big. I mean, that's one of the biggest. Uh, no, I I think we should defend Carl Anthony Towns because that's not a popular stance to take right now because everyone is crushing him. Yeah. Um, look, is it fair that after both the first two games, 
you know, Tibbs just comes out and says all the things that, you know, Carl Anthony Towns isn't doing on offense when he is in charge, uh, theoretically, of their shot distribution, right? Like, was there any adjustment from game one to game two to really increase, uh, you know, Towns' presence? Did they do anything to make his life easier? Now, granted, he should be able to score, uh, you know, consistently uh, much more than he has, but Houston's got an excellent defense. They present a lot of tough uh, you know, post defenders, they're going to make you work to get your spot and they're going to make you work uh, to take contested shots. They're not going to give you easy stuff. I mean, this is a team that's been clicking on a championship level all season long, both offensively and defensively. So give some credit to Houston's defense, no question. Mm-hmm. Uh, but I also think like they're not setting towns up for success offensively. And uh, that's disappointing because I think he's just getting scapegoated. He's an easy you know target. And he's not living up to, you know, pre-playoff expectations. Uh, there's no doubt. I'm not 100% defending him. I just don't think that he's the root of all evil here. Yeah. Um, yeah, I mean, look, we were questioning Tibbs, not necessarily crushing him, but like week one of the season, I, I think I came out and was like, I don't think Tibbs has any idea how to use Cat. And then it just kind of like snowballed from there, our, our like general frustration. Um, so we don't need to belabor the point, but... Uh, Let's wrap it up. We've got two more emails. I'm skipping the Blazers emails out of respect for what that team is currently going through in New Orleans right now. Um, the score is getting ugly. I think DeMarcus said it all after the Davis dunk. <laughs> it's, it's really, really bad, uh, but we will have a probably broader Blazers referendum uh, next week. But here is Yago. Like a funeral? Yeah. Like that broad? I think so. <laughs> That certainly seems like where where things are headed. Yago says, an hour and 15 minutes into the pod, I had to stop what I was doing. I don't know if I can take this anymore. I was losing my mind hearing Andrew's prediction of the Rockets for his bracket challenge after reading his Warriors title prediction on the Sports Illustrated site. Not to mention the hundreds of hours of, and words and thoughts I've heard him compose about this year <laughs> uh, as it relates to the Rockets and Warriors. The sharp vortex is insane. I understand you want to have fun and mix it up a little bit, but you're a legitimate, respected national sports writer. I put faith into your well. words. Come on, man. Um, look, Yago, I appreciate that email, but take it down several notches <laughs> with, the, with the lecture <laughs> about. Uh, I retain the right to predict whatever I want, wherever I want. Uh, uh, you can go to Hoops Hype. I'll pick the Cavs. Uh, I'll put me on NBA.com. <laughs> I'll pick the Thunder. I'm good. Hey, with not whatever. only wh- whatever, whatever and whenever, you reserve the right to change your mind from Tuesday <laughs> to Friday. That's why I called you a grease pig in the first place. That was your whole reason why you defended taking the Warriors and then the Rockets, because one of the picks you had to make on Tuesday and the other one you made on Friday, right? Yep. Uh, I mean, look, and b- listen, part of being a smart person is changing your mind and being willing to you know, open to the possibility that perhaps I was wrong a week ago. Perhaps I'll, I'll switch back to the Warriors a week from now. It's all good. And no, my, my serious answer, though, is that if we have to be rational and level-headed about everything, obviously the Warriors are the smart pick. But in our little podcast group, in our, our bracket challenge, I feel like I'm among friends. I feel like this is a community, and I'm willing to roll the dice and mix it up. So if I have to stake my professional reputation on this shit then I'm going with the Warriors, but among friends, you know, whatever. 
Yeah, and as a postscript, Yago contacted me after he sent this email because he's a very, very loyal listener, Andrew. He's not kidding when he says that he's listened to hundreds of hours of words and and, and you know comments on the podcast because he's a real diehard. Uh-huh. And he actually did kind of clarify. He's like, yeah, I might have gone a little OD. I appreciate like, it, though. <laughs> a little, little too strong. I mean, maybe he had three coffees in the morning it, before he sent it that. It fits but. well with our angry email segment. And honestly, so did the Blazers stuff now that I'm rereading it. Um but uh, but yes, thanks for listening, Yago, and go Rockets and Warriors and Thunder and Jazz. <laughs> um, and uh, <laughs> hey, so Yago took you apart, but we got one from Cameron taking me apart, didn't yes, we? Yes, we did. That's the final question: is Cameron saying Ben promoting bacon boss burgers is like the Spurs promoting Hero Ball? As an outdoors loving vegan, I admire the passion you Oof. show for nature. My absolute favorite episode of the podcast was when you compared NBA players to national parks. When I heard you mention that you were a vegan yourself, everything clicked and my respect for you ascended to an even higher level. With this in mind, I have to ask you, why on earth are you doing a live read promoting a bacon boss burger with bacon three different ways <laughs> and a blanket of white cheese sauce? So what do you have to say for yourself, man? You're you're disappointing your fans out there. So this one really cut deep. I, I can't lie. Uh, first of all, we need to clear up. I'm not a vegan. I'm a vegetarian. You called me a vegan one time, and that has stuck forever. I know, I it's love like it. the it's the biggest label. It's like crooked Hillary's you vegan vegan Whatever, man. Whatever you say. So after I got this email, uh, I sat and cried in my room for like an hour, and I was like, God, this guy's right. I this is a crisis. I really have to to figure this out. So first thing I did is I found my landlord. I tracked her down, and I said, Look. Um, you know, I want to live in this ideal society that Cameron's describing, right? Where there's just no compromises. You live by your principles. And she's like, Hey, I'm all in favor of that. That sounds great. So I said, okay, would you agree with me that, you know, when it comes to property, like I'm of this earth, you're of this earth, we're all of this earth. No one really owns any of the ground or, or real estate, right? Like it's all just kind of shared communal property. And she looked at me and she says, well, she didn't really say anything. She just kind of raised her eyebrows and she's like, I guess, you know, where is this going? And then I said, well, would you also agree with me that money, it's just kind of a societal construct, right? Like what's the difference between gold and, and fool's gold? It's just perception. I mean, it, it, the, the worth is all mental. Sure. And she said, where is this going? And then I was like, well, I mean, it doesn't really seem like I should necessarily have to pay you to live where I live. I mean, if we're both of this earth and we can agree money is just, you know, a figment of our imagination, maybe I should just be able to live in my apartment, no problem. And she, you know, paused, she, she gave it some thought. Uh, I got momentarily excited. And then she said, rent's due on the first. If you're late, it's going to be an extra hundred dollars. Uh, if you don't get it in by the fifth. And so at that point, Andrew, uh, I started reading Buffalo Wild Wings ad copy. I mean, didn't really have another choice, did I? Well, yes, but it's also true, and this is free advertising. They definitely didn't pay for this today. Uh, the Bacon Boss Burger is great, and the blanket of white cheese sauce is great, and you should get down to your Buffalo Wild Wings right now and uh, watch the NBA playoffs, watch the Blazers get blown off the floor in New Orleans. And enjoy some apps, a, a crisp Sam 76, whatever you want. Yeah, look, there's a there's a new boss in town, and it's a blanket <laughs> <laughs> of white cheese sauce. No, the one thing that this is like way inside baseball, and nobody listens because we're like, you know, 70 yep. minutes deep, but... I am pretty high maintenance when it comes to the ad reads, Andrew, aren't I? Like I'm always rejecting things that I don't want to talk about or things I don't want to promote. So 
I don't know how uh, I let bacon boss burger through. Um, you know, I, I, but I am open. You know, if people want to eat meat, I don't have a problem yeah. with it. I'm not judging you them. You know, me meat. personally. No, you shouldn't. I, I <laughs> no. don't think you need to. You know, we don't need to support that uh, that industry. You know, we don't have to encourage it. Well, but you know, if people want to eat meat, it's fine. I'm not going to judge them for it. I just, me personally, I should not eat meat. That's all I'm saying. Yes, and Cameron. I'm sure Buffalo Wild Wings has plenty of vegan offerings that you should check out. Um, so get down there as soon as possible at your earliest convenience. And with that, actually, one more email. Chris says, hey, guys, I continue to love the pod and love the NBA bracket and have entered. I just entered. So thanks for the heads up. On the downside, the Kelly Oubre bobblehead prize is literally the single shittiest prize I have ever heard of. Ever. <laughs> um so thanks to Chris for entering, uh, and uh, good luck to everyone out there chasing Kelly Oubre. And with that, I think we should come back. That's a good way, good way to end the angry email segment. No question. Look, guys, please support our sponsors, Buffalo Wild Wings, Mattress Firm, 4hims.com, which is really an underrated sponsor. Go check their website out. Um, and go to Apple Podcasts, search Open Floor. It's two words, really easy to spell. You can do it. Scroll down, look for where it says rate and review, tap the five stars. It helps us spread the word during these amazing playoffs, these amazing podiums, this amazing unsheathed swag that we're getting night after night after night. Stop saying that. Andrew, (laughs) until next week, I'll talk to you. All right, man, take it easy. Another great edition of Open Floor is in the books. Did you know Locked On has a daily podcast for all 30 NBA teams? If you're a Lakers fan, search Locked On Lakers. A Celtics fan, search Locked On Celtics. Warriors fans, search Locked On Warriors. Yes, all 30 NBA teams have a daily bite-sized podcast on the Locked On Podcast Network. Search on Apple Podcasts or Google Podcasts for Locked On, your favorite team. Or tell your smart speaker to play podcasts, Locked On, your favorite team. It's the Locked On Podcast Network, your team every day.